0: Paul, this episode we are going to regroup on where we left off on our culture conversation from last episode, which I am super stoked for because I absolutely loved that conversation. And then in the second part of this episode, we're going to go over some words and provide definitions such as racism, anti-racist, equality versus equity. You know, we have had many a discussion about our identity, so it's a good time to circle up on some of those words that we hear all the time, but may not actually be able to provide a definition for. And we're able to talk about those in our personal contexts, i.e. white men, from all that we have discussed so far. This is The Modern White Man, the podcast where myself, Ken Lawrence, and me, Paul Johnson, discuss how to be a modern white man who is anti-racist, anti-sexist, and understands his role in creating an equitable society. Okay. So really, I am stoked to finish up our culture conversation. You know, I listened to our last episode and it was what episode seven. And I'm going to say it was my favorite so far. And I that, mine too. Yeah? yeah. It, that's great. I, and that's saying something because we've had some gems out there, yeah. obviously. That's <laughs> yeah. yeah. to break. I yeah, no. no. Um, you know, I think the reason for that is my whole personal reckoning of can we have pride in our culture as white men? Because as I made abundantly clear in our conversation, I always end up linking culture to race in the end, which as you pointed out, you really can't and most assuredly shouldn't have pride in your race, you know, specifically as a white person, because it's a constructed adjective that was created for an inherently evil reason. So if I'm always linking my culture to my race, yeah, clearly I'm going to have a hard time having pride in my culture. Yet also, as you pointed out, it's important to have a connection to your culture because it creates a sense of belonging, it gives depth to identity, and it can be a way to have personal pride. Alright, so we said we would think about our conversation from last time and come back to it. And here are the highlights of what I have been thinking about. And this is like borderline epiphany zone for me. Whoa. Yeah, I mean I texted you you as I was having this epiphany and I was like bouncing off the walls. So I'm very interested to get your reaction. I believe
1: they were like Six exclamation
0: points! <laughs> yeah. the, the emoji with the head exploding. Yes. If I recall, I don't know. Yes, I might be making that up. No, but, that's yeah. how I felt inside. Yeah. So, I'm I'm excited to see, hear what you think about this because in our discussion, I really struggled with the idea of American culture. You know, we both shared our ants, and, and we both did, and we both shared our ancestral cultural roots. You know, where we came from and whatnot. But I couldn't just rest on that alone as being the source of my cultural pride. I have to define what my American culture is. And as we talked about in length, there is not one overarching American culture. We're just too big and complex. Cultures in America really depend on where you live and how your family exists in that area. So I really thought a lot about defining my own American culture. And I'm gonna share it with you here. All right. And the key here, Paul, is that I'm going to keep it separate from race. All right. That's my goal. All right. Here we go. Here's my culture. One, I love living in the north. We are in Minneapolis, as we mentioned, in Minnesota. And it's funny, a few years ago, Minneapolis had the Super Bowl here. You remember that? 2017, Mm -hmm. I think. And that whole weekend, the high was like 20 below or something just ridiculous and everybody was flying in and they're like what is this place all about and we branded the whole thing as being the bold north and that really resonated with me and it still does like i think about the bold north all the time and i love that like i love winter i, I love that we brave the cold that we do outdoor activities in the winter i personally really enjoy ice fishing skating outside going for walks on frozen lakes New thing this year, pulling my daughter on a sled, and that's only gonna get more fun. I'm gonna be that dad like on the hill with oh yeah, like having more fun than my daughter yeah. going. You're probably down.
1: gonna forget you're gonna leave her behind, just be going <laughs> yeah. down yourself. She's like, gonna walk <laughs> home and be like, see ya, dad. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and my friends and I growing up would like build ice forts in the mounds of snow that we created from all the snow that was blowed from the driveway. Like that's very cultural in Minnesota, and I love that stuff. I love winter. Another thing is kind of the opposite in the summer is lake life is really big in Minnesota. Like you hear lake life a lot in Minnesota. Our motto as a state, one of them is land of 10,000 lakes which is actually closer to 12,000 lakes. And it's 11,842 to be exact, but who's counting? But I am extremely lucky to have a father-in-law with a lake place that he and we, my wife and I consider ours as well. So I get to live that cabin and lake life year round, but primarily throughout the summer. It's a very Minnesota thing. Like you spend all day on the lake, you're talking to other people on the lake, you're waving to every boat that goes by, I'm a big swimmer, like I'll just lap around the lake. I don't love swimming in pools, and I don't love swimming in the ocean. Really? It's just creepy to me how much is in there. But lakes, I will swim in all day. Wait, so you don't, you think swimming in a pool is creepy, even though you no, know? No, the ocean. Oh. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Chlorine, <laughs> I'm not a fan of. But it's oh, gotcha. creepy yeah. in the ocean, but in the lake, yeah. it's like, yeah. yeah, fish might bite you, or but it's not going to. take you. are not going to devour you. Yeah, right. So so lake life is something, cabin life is something that I really resonate with as a part of my culture. The third thing is hockey. You know, I've already found a way to talk about hockey a couple times in this podcast. And I'm a big hockey guy. It's a part of who I am. My grandpa, my dad, all my uncles all played it. I've been skating since I was four years old. I skate better than I can run. That is not being facetious. I run like a barbarian and I'm a very smooth skater. And so... (laughs) And hockey is a very Minnesota thing. You know, in the U.S., Minnesota is the state of hockey. That is the Wild's appropriate branding, the state of hockey. And the Wild is our National Hockey League team, for those who don't know it out there. Um, But when you go watch or go to a hockey game in Minnesota versus other arenas, like and my friends and I do that, we travel around and watch the Wild in different arenas, You get that Minnesota fans understand the game. Players will say that. They're like, yeah, Minnesota are knowledgeable fans. And it's so true. I mean, look at the high school hockey tournament. Here is a massive deal. It is standing room only in the Wilds Arena with, like, 20,000 people. I mean, hockey is a huge part of Minnesota culture, and it's part of my own culture.
1: And the U.S. Pan Hockey Championships is in Minnesota. That's like, right. This is a national thing, yep. and it's based in Minnesota yes. that you play every year, yeah. except for this year, of course.
0: Two years ago, the last time we had it, I played a team from Norway and Australia. Mm. Yeah, It's just crazy. Yeah. And that that's, like, my favorite. That is a Minnesota weekend. Mm-hmm. People are out. It's on a lake. Mm-hmm. Like, like, 28 rinks on the mm-hmm. lake, and people are out. Out there, there are fires there are beer tents it's, yeah it's i
1: love the one dude who, who's like decked out in that that thick parka I, you know who i'm talking about he's like a ref or something but he walks around he looks like he owns the place yes yep and he's wearing this it looks like he went out and killed a bear like <laughs> the day before and put on its skin And he's. Yeah. I, I, I want i want to know who that guy is but totally he, he lives outside in the winter <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no doubt no yeah. doubt yeah yeah
0: <laughs> yeah and, and so that's a big part and when I'm thinking about food and drink, you know, it's very just kind of surface level culture stuff, but still good to think of. We have a really strong craft brewery scene in Minnesota, and I like craft beer. I mean, that that links to even my Irish and German roots, too. So that's a connection that I really like. For food, Minnesotans love barbecues in the summer. I'm really big into it. I actually think that might be the rare overall American culture thing. Like, barbecues hmm. seem to be kind of a very American thing. but. Really popular here. Hot dishes are popular in Minnesota. Like that's what normal people call casseroles, but we call hot dishes. Uh, There are like hot dish recipe competitions, and (laughs) and a couple random things. I mentioned Minnesota's passive aggressiveness last time. Mm-hmm. I do not like that. Like, yeah. it drives me crazy. So that's one part of my culture that I don't like. Another little random thing is my Minnesota accent. I love my Minnesota accent. My friends when I lived abroad just gave me so much crap about mm-hmm. my Minnesota mm-hmm. accent. And I, it, I just really liked it. So, so those are, like, the main things that as I was thinking about my culture, it was just pouring out of me. Like, I'm like, I love this stuff. Mm-hmm. This is what defines me. This is what my culture is. Okay, so here, what I'm not going to do, Paul, is this is where my guilt would creep in. Mm -hmm. And I would put a race disclaimer on it. And I would say, well, I really need to mention that I recognize most of these things I'm able to enjoy because I'm a white man. I like Minnesota, but I feel like I have to mention that we have among the worst achievement and wealth gaps in the country. Like, that is where I would automatically go. Mm-hmm. And my body language and excitement would just deflate. I mean, you even pointed that out last, last episode. You're mm-hmm. like, when you're talking about culture, you can see you're excited. And then I'm like, well, and I, I recognize it's because I'm a white man that I can do a lot of this mm-hmm. stuff. But I, I want to have pride in those things. Like, can I keep it separate from race? You know, of course, we need to recognize that racial reality and the racial hierarchy and white supremacy. Like, I'm not saying let's forget about that stuff. Obviously, that's like a part of who our identity work. And it needs to be part of everyone's life. I I truly believe that the racial hierarchy needs to be on everyone's level of awareness. But does it have to negate my culture? I don't. I hope it doesn't because I have pride in that stuff. You know, none of those things that I listed that I am proud of are inherently racist. Like there are racist policies that have afforded me the opportunity to have access to some of those things. Playing hockey, having a lake place up north, great examples of that it's not accessible to a lot of other identities because of racist policies that have created, you know, those are things that cost money, right? Those are things that generational wealth on the lake is a big thing in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. People of color were not afforded those opportunities in the past. But in creating equity and being anti-racist, we want to impact policies so that all people can have access to and enjoy those cultural elements if they want. Like some of those things seem to be white because of those policies. Like, I want everyone to be able to have access to those things so when people hear my cultural pride list, they don't think, oh, yeah, just a, another white guy liking white things, right? And it's funny, when we were recording last episode, your Lefsa example, like, I heard it and I was like, yep, yeah, I get it. But it didn't really impact me yeah. until I was listening back to it. And your Lefsa example is like, it's a Norwegian food and mm-hmm. you want to eat lefsa without having guilt, right? Right. That is exactly how I feel about ho- hockey and golf. Like as I was listening back to it, like Mm -hmm. I don't tell a lot of people that I play hockey, that I used to be huge into golfing. When I grew up in the summer, I golfed in the winter, I played hockey Mm -hmm. like that was my life. But now I look at those as very white things and I wouldn't even tell people about that. I've essentially stopped playing golf because of that, like the last few years, like I've just been like, man, that is such a white thing. And I don't want it to be that way. I want to be able to tell people I love hockey I want to start golfing again without being like, this is a super white thing. Mm -hmm. And at the end of last episode, we said that we should talk about American culture as aspirational. Well, that's what I want my aspiration to be. Like, I don't want any of those Minnesota, Northern culture things to be seen as white. I want our policies and education system and hiring practices and workplaces and judicial system, you know, everything we've talked about to be equitable. So anyone can have access to any part of this culture.
1: That's well said. I mean, that was it? that I, I would agree. That's an epiphany. Yeah, I think you made it to epiphany level. So congrats. You, Thank you. You did it.
0: I feel so good. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I can I can tell just by even you know this is weeks after you had your actual epiphany and you're still energized by. By this,
0: yeah. If I had the epiphany on here, you, I'd be like (laughs) bouncing off the walls. I was going crazy. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, I think it speaks to the importance of thinking about culture and thinking about belonging and thinking about you know where we come from and who we identify with. And I think I just want to say, and I think you'll probably agree, as white men, we like we don't go there. We don't go to those conversations because we think that's not a white thing to do, or because there's guilt and shame there. Yeah, right. Like we don't want to both about privilege or feel bad about what people have done in the past or like i think some i think some people just think like white people don't have a culture period yeah Yeah. right like culture is for people of color and so i think it's topic and conversation that we avoid or we just never been socialized to think about yeah and i think when we we get a chance to really dig in it's yeah, no wonder you had some <laughs> light bulbs go off cuz it's like this this latent energy inside of us that just never gets tapped. Yeah. And it's like a it's such an important part of our
0: identity. And and do you think it's possible to keep those things kind of separate where and and kind of digging into that more or explaining yeah. that more is it's not ignoring one, right. right? Obviously. That's you know what we're working towards is to understand privilege, to make equitable systems and and policies. So we need to know that that exists. I think mm-hmm. we need, I need to know I'm able to have a lake place mm-hmm. and play hockey and grow mm-hmm. up playing golf because of the privileges that that yeah. afforded me and that it didn't to others. But can I have the knowledge of the two mm-hmm. and separate the two in a way that's productive for my identity?
1: I don't know if you have to separate. I think mm-hmm. you can still exist, coexist, yeah. but still, still get the result that you had of like being able to be proud of the part of your culture, think aspirations. I think because we have such a adversarial relationship to race, and it just it it sways so heavily with with negativity and guilt and shame. If we bring in race into the, into the conversation, it just automatically deflates things. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a way to hold both, you know. Yeah. And, and you kind of have to because I know race is a. I think I mentioned this last episode. It's it is a part of culture. Yeah. Like it, right. It, you, you can't really separate it because it is a is an element of culture. Right we made um, it that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, who knows if race will ever be deconstructed, but for the time being it is part of our cultural identity. Yeah. For better or for worse. I don't know. I think my thoughts might help answer that yeah, or it please. might not, but we can we can continue it but but cuz I You know, for me, and forgive me as I I don't mean to be a buzzkill to all the energy, but... Come off my epiphany high. (laughs) I mean, I I don't know what the the deflating epiphany is, what the name for that is, but I sort of had this like, oh, sort of conversation in my head. But stick with me. I think it has a happy ending. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, I'm really struggling with like a philosophical question like about pride. Because that, that's kind of what we're talking about. It's kind of the core of our podcast of like, can we be proud of, of who we are as white men? But then I think about pride and that word has a lot of weight because to me, pride has a bias towards what's good and right. Because like, you can never say you're proud of something bad you did. You can maybe say like, oh, I learned from that or that was a mistake I made and I reconciled it. But you can never say I'm proud I did that bad thing, right? So pride has this bias towards good, right? Unless you're like, a sociopath right and then like that's a whole different story <laughs> and then you're like that's a different bragging about yeah that's a different part yeah, different <laughs> for sure um so what i mean is like pride feels like a slippery slope towards narcissism and i'd argue that narcissism is like at the root of white supremacy to get to a place where you truly feel superior over other human beings you got to have some level of like narcissism and like only think about what's good about you to really honestly think like I am so good, so perfect, so righteous that I am actually superior over other human beings. Race was constructed to basically help justify that. And so on the, the other side of the coin, like pride leads to an avoidance of faults and shortcomings. So, you know, and I was, well, I was reflecting back and like, when I talked about my my cultural roots, Mm -hmm. I noticed that I cherry picked. Yeah. I only talked about good things about my culture. I didn't look into or research, like what was all the bad stuff that Norwegians did or Italians did. I didn't look into that. I didn't talk to my parents about that. Yeah. yeah, Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about other podcasts for that. I mean, there's, Yeah, there's, yeah. Centuries of, of oppression and horrible things. Right. So. So even that, like I I cherry picked history and that that is, you know, this whitewashing, if you will, is also, you know, just something that uh, what fuels white supremacy. Right. Because even when we write history books, when you look at the history books that we read uh, in school were whitewashed. Right. Mm -hmm. It only had the good elements or even if it did talk about the bad, like slavery, it whitewashed it, it you know manifest destiny made it sound like this was something that we were meant to do ordained by god yeah. and they were savage you know like all that stuff right Yep. so you know the bad stuff is either glossed over or sugar-coated so you know i know i'm going to like a dark place and a buzzkill and we're just on the high of no, like it's... all this but like you said you're proud of cultural aspects like lake life and so am i i don't have a cabin to go to but when i do it's it's just the best yeah. it really is the best mm-hmm. like you feel so good when you're there yeah you know and so it's sort of like, yay. I, I get to go to a lake in a cabin, but then you, then you recognize, like you said, the racist policies that enabled you and your family to accumulate enough wealth to have something like that. And then like, boo, right? right? Like, oh, so, so what is the middle ground and is there a middle ground? And then I think about too, like as white people, something that we're used to doing is like grasping for comfort. Are, are we looking for something to comfort us to make us feel better? You know, it, it's just a roller coaster of emotions. I I sometimes yeah like I sometimes feel great and then and then you know race comes into my mind and then it it brings it down again and and maybe that's just what it is but you know I see value in both like pride in our culture allows us to feel joy and a sense of belonging like that is clear from like when you're talking about it and that is important and essential to our identity we 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 all all of us despite any any race or any gender deserve to feel joy and belonging Hmm. period yeah the guilt and the shame wants us to think that we don't deserve that. But that's just not true. All of us, despite anything we've done, deserve that.
0: That's a really important thing to note. Yeah. Right? Anybody does deserve to have belonging and purpose yeah. in life. Because if there's one thing that none of us know, it's the meaning of life and <laughs> why we're here. And you know, the short amount of time, this yeah. blink of an eye and the whole grand scheme of things. And if nothing else, like be good to others, is the caveat for everything. But then, like, find your purpose and meaning. Because if you don't mm-hmm. have that, or if you have, if you end up finding shame in everything, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Like, you have to mm-hmm. for existence, you know?
1: Right. And you know, you know, something actually. Now I'm thinking of something that was sort of epiphany for me. I I actually on a monthly basis do coaching, sort of like an like a, around racial identity with with someone, and we were talking about I don't even remember what we're talking about, but. Well, actually, I remember we were talking about dehumanization and my coach said dehumanization is a tool of white supremacy. It Mm -hmm. wants to keep people separate and it wants us to dehumanize ourselves. And that like that bowled me over. Yeah, because 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 we were talking about how I I have in the past used sort of these like dehumanization tactics to in 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 challenging situations. And then we talked about how that dehumanization actually affects ourselves. Mm. When shame and guilt take over with, with our culture and our race, it makes us feel like we're undeserving of these things. Yeah. Right. And then when we do feel joy, it's like this boomerang effect of like, oh, I don't deserve that. So let me go back to this guilt and shame. I don't know if you're boomeranging between race and culture mm-hmm. or maybe you're just boomeranging. And I do it, too. Yeah. Let me just right. Be clear, like boomeranging between like feeling joy. And then like it almost feels like when we feel it, we're like, I don't deserve this. Yeah. And then we boomerang back to like this shame
0: or I need to or not even like I don't deserve this. But wait, I need to recognize how I think if I'm floating on my back in the lake in the middle of the summer is I'm like, oh, I'm so peaceful right now. I'm so happy right now. And it's almost like a trigger where I'm like, I need to recognize, though, and point out the fact consciously to myself that you know how lucky i am and fortunate i am to be born the way i am to be able to have these opportunities because other people haven't yep and that i deflate and sink you know
1: yep and so that's kind of the point i'm getting to like that's not a bad thing right we right. need to we need to have a sobering look into race and in our in our and and gender issues in our in our world today because it keeps us on our toes like that that discomfort keeps us on our toes from avoiding these issues right you know i i talk a lot about burnout especially with activists mm-hmm. so so this is something that i've really noticed a lot for activists and white activists for sure people spend a lot of time and i feel like this is something that's been socialized in like the activism circle like people spend a lot of time focusing on the negative yeah and and this is my theory but i feel like it's a form of self punishment for being white
0: yeah right you know kind of like when i'm floating in the lake it's a form of self punishment to be like don't over enjoy this moment
1: yeah and like what good does that do right right in that moment does does that Actually, get you motivated to like dismantle racist policies no. while you're floating in the lake, right? No, no, of course and not. And
0: then I we can the the next day I can have a great day, drive home, and start working on anti racist policies, exactly. right? Yeah, Ooh, that's borderline epiphany right there. For me. <laughs> <laughs> but- can we have as so many epiphanies <laughs> yeah. in one episode? I don't know. We're I think there's to a quota. The, the word. <laughs> yeah. So that
1: that's my theory, and and it's it's more a theory because like that's. That's how I feel. I feel like, you know, the same way you feel like I get to a place where I feel good. I feel at peace. I feel, you know, proud of who I am and my culture. And then like, boom, I'm like, this is you don't deserve to be in this place. Yeah, Punish yourself. Right. Like think about race. Think about all all the bad things. Right. And I think, too, it's, it's, it's a performative thing to appear woke. That's another theory, too. Yeah. And also, again, based off of my personal experience. It's very true. Like, I, I, you know, I might write something on LinkedIn or Facebook or even say something about, like, oh, how how shit I am as a person and whatever and punishing myself even publicly as a way to, like, look how woke I am. Yeah, yeah. Right? Or, Or reposting all of this, like, crap going on in the world. Say, like, look at how much I'm paying attention to all this horrible stuff, right? Right. But really, it's just, like, degrading me, right? Yeah. Like, eroding my well-being, really. So what I'm trying to say is, like, it seems like a lot of people think that if you're smiling and happy while working for social justice, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like the saying, there's a saying out there in the activist circle, like, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Mm. And I believe that. Like, trust me, I agree with that statement. I think, you know, if if there isn't some sort of anger in you with what we're seeing in the world like I think there's some truth there. Like yeah. you really aren't getting it. it it's right? part of yeah.
0: the identity process if you're doing it right. Right. Like I think about when I was writing some scripts for us for the reconstruction episodes, mm. and I remember I just hit this point. And I like just went on like a tirade to myself, just like yelling about. How could we allow, how did this country allow Mm -hmm. this to happen? And how Mm -hmm. did people treat people this way? But then going through that kind of emotional roller coaster, I came Mm -hmm. back on the other side a little bit stronger. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, I clearly now understand something or learn something that I didn't know before. I experienced the the injustice that has been done. And I, you know, what can I do to address it kind of thing?
1: Yeah, Right. And again, like that, you kind of went through a cycle. Right. Like you went to a place of anger, of indignation, but then you came through it. Right. And that and that is that's healthy. Mm-hmm. But what what I what I've experienced personally, what I see a lot and what leads to burnout is this like it's it's just not sustainable if you're miserable and self-loathing all the time. Right. And, and, and I know that's that's extreme. I know not not really not many people are all the time, but. At least in my experience, I've seen that that just people think it's the quote unquote right place to be, to just be angry, to be miserable, to be self-critical all the time and and avoid any sort of like joy or pride in who you are.
0: And you're you're right. Like it doesn't help the cause in any way. It doesn't help you personally doesn't help the people around you like you can have discussions with people and like get fired up about stuff Mm -hmm. but yeah that self-loathing that really doesn't help Mm -hmm. if you get to a place where you are working on your identity and your understanding the history and all of this and then you're you're trying to do these cross-racial cross-gender relationships and work that's where you make a difference Mm -hmm. and if you have a sense of identity because of the ecosystem in which you're trying to understand that's how to make a positive impact you don't have to show hey i'm upset because Mm -hmm. clearly everything's messed up you might be and you might have times like that but don't you you don't have to go through being miserable all the time
1: yeah and the other thing too is like misery and that self-loathing is is selfish like it's you're centering yourself yeah right right And, and you and i know in the dei space like and and for the for for the history of white people like white people center themselves yeah Right, so even though it feels like we're doing it for the right reasons, it's still at the end of the day we're centering ourselves and we're we're keeping the focus on ourselves rather than the work that needs to be done, rather than even just empathizing with people of color what they're going through. Mm-hmm. So, so you just you have to be careful of that too. So anyway, that's why. So I love this discussion discussion about how we can find joy and pride and who we are and the things in our lives that make us happy. So you know kind of like what you're alluding to I totally agree I'm not going to apologize for or feel bad about playing golf going camping drinking craft beer we're doing that as we speak eating lefse <laughs> eating lefse or listening to NPR I'm not going to apologize for that when I'm doing those things I'm going to enjoy them enjoy them fully but or, sorry I should and and is a better word and I'm going to learn about and do something about why those are quote unquote white things yeah. in fact I just came across an article this last summer in 2020 I don't know if how much attention it got but he survived an attempted lynching.
0: That's right.
1: At a at a campground. Camping, yeah. Right. So this is this is why camping is a white thing, right? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, uh, you know, like not only are there's pro- there are probably racist policies built in campgrounds or whatever, but also they they have historically been unsafe place for yeah. people to be. Good right? point. So so that's why. But does that mean I'm going to stop going camping? Of course not. Does that mean when I am camping, I'm going to think about that the whole time? No. Right? Yeah. But is it still something I'm going to hold within me and say, like, this is wrong, this is not right? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I even think about things like being outdoors and hockey and golf, all of those have a lot of initiatives right now to get more people of color to be able to participate Mm -hmm. in and enjoy. And so I I can do those things if I'm passionate about that and other people doing it. Like I can support that in different ways. I can understand that, be vocal about it, talk to people about it, but then like, or like support these different initiatives. Like, you know, you get there because of a level of awareness. Right, right. The other thing, too, is just being grateful is a healthy thing to do in life. And yep. so if I'm yep. laying on my back in the middle of the lake, I can say like, hey, I'm really grateful to be able to have this opportunity. I recognize that because of my identity, I'm just very lucky mm-hmm. to recognize and, and show gratefulness mm-hmm. is a healthy thing to do for everyone and so you can even think about it that way too you don't have to beat yourself over the back of the head but it'll be like hey you know what i'm i I recognize this i want to it kind of gets you fired up too like i want Mm -hmm. more people to be able to do this Mm -hmm. and 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 so it can be positive that way
1: yeah i think i think you're pointing out a really important subtle difference between like being grateful versus being sort of sort of this like haha i have this and you don't i don't know what the i can't think of the word right now but there's a history of that with white people mm. like sort of this like you know shoving in other people's face mm. like I have this and you don't yeah. and that's that's gross yeah. right like that's a whole different place to yeah. be in totally like versus being grateful but also accountable and accountability is a whole lot different than shame yeah because the other thing it does is it helps us realize we have control because mm-hmm. the other thing that, that brings people down is a sense of I don't have control over this or a sense of helplessness yeah. and shame brings us to that place of like woe is me I am this poor, you know, kind of, uh, I, I'm helpless to the situation yeah. and also the self judgment. Like I'm a terrible person, right? Yeah. Accountability is like, I have control over this. I can do something about it. Yeah. It's bad, but that doesn't make me bad per mm-hmm. se, but it does depend on how I respond to this. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. now we're like, okay, I can do something about this. Yeah. Kind of like you said, I'm gonna not going to do it right now because right? I'm going to finish this beer yeah, and right. finish floating in the, in the pool. But when I get back, yeah. sure as hell, I'm going to do something about it. Exactly. Right? Yeah.
0: So really, these things, they can coexist, right? Your idea of happiness, what I enjoy doing, the things that made me who I am mm-hmm. because of the way I grew up doing all the, the things that I listed. Right. That can coexist with recognizing that the racial reality, the disparities that exist in our society, being grateful for having those opportunities. Mm-hmm. And those two can coexist and in a way where you can be happy. Yeah. Right? I can be happy being in that lake or playing hockey or or playing golf. They can all exist together and I can be happy is like how I, I can sum it up, right?
1: Yeah. Can I buzzkill something real quick? Yeah. Please. <laughs> it just it just kinda came to mind because the other thing we need to be careful about, I think, is white people is we think about like we have all these great things mm-hmm. and we want to also make sure everyone else has these great things. That makes me think like slippery slope towards like colonization mm. and i know that's like yeah. a huge jump no but like, point but 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 it's you know like the history you know of a lot of european americans white people is quote unquote being and, and this is also done on micro levels to like doing social justice work like we think we know what's best and i know i mentioned that in the i think it was the first episode yeah. of like stuff white people like yeah is knowing what's best for poor people yeah like that, that sort of thing like we you know it comes from good intentions you know but we think like oh because i like this thing because i have this thing everyone else should have this thing and i'm gonna make them like this thing right like that's what like christian missions have done and democracy like going over to other countries and other people and saying this is good for you Mm -hmm. so we're gonna we're gonna make you like it right and and i I don't think there's a lot of good intentions in when that was done i mean maybe some a little bit but um it was more of as the superiority thing yeah. but you know we also you know when you talk about culture cultural competence or intercultural competence it's about acceptance of like every culture has its own values and beliefs and behaviors and our job is not to judge one as better than the other it's to accept and 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 appreciate every single difference within yeah. within each culture right
0: i love that point I think that's a really good cuz you're you're totally right. So so in framing it differently of I love hockey, golf, lake life. Those things are mm-hmm. part of my upbringing and is who I am. They're seen as white things. We want to create an equitable society where people don't have barriers to do what they want, right? right. Or live the life right. or what makes them feel a sense of belonging right. with their culture. And that could be anything. It doesn't have to be you have mm-hmm. to learn how to play hockey. Mm-hmm. Or I know you want to spend time camping, right? And Mm -hmm. just affording you the opportunity to do whatever you want to do, however you define your culture, right?
1: Yeah, that sums it up well. Yeah, And it goes back to, again, supremacy colonization these these words that that hold lot of weight with us is because that's our history and even all all the way from you know the europeans first came over america they saw everything that native people were doing and saying like you're doing it wrong essentially mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. and, and not only are you doing it wrong but like you are, clearly must be less than human because of look at how you're, you're you don't even have guns you don't have You know buildings, Mm -hmm. so you're you're savages, right? Like, and so you do it. You should do it our way because we're we're better, right? Right. And the only way it played out in their favor is we can go into Guns, Germs, and Steel, yeah, that that book, right? Right. It had nothing to do with superiority. It had everything to do with the resources afforded to them, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can still be anti-racist, which Mm -hmm. we're going to describe at Mm -hmm. the end of this episode. To create or vote for or help policies that create an equitable society, so people can do what they want, and yeah. I can be happy coexisting with those two things. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and, and I think you know, like I'm alluded to earlier, like it's more if you want to get those things done, right? If you want to have the energy and the motivation to get that thing, those things done, sitting in guilt and shame and criticizing yourself all the yes. time is not going to be motivating. Yes. That's another right? good take or, or yep. self-punishing is not. It might feel good at the time. It might feel like it's motivating you, but over time that tears you down, Mm -hmm. right? And it burns people out and and it it happens all the time. Like there are people, there's a study I always, I I reference a lot that they followed a bunch of activists and they found that those who burned out, half of them left the movement altogether. Mm. They just stopped. Yeah. They're like, I I'm done with social justice work, whatever they're working on. And, and I don't know the details but imagine a lot of those people had this idea like i can't afford myself joy i can't i can't give myself happiness i can't give myself rest i can't give myself nice things in life right yeah like, maybe they had muscle back issues and they're like i should get a massage but then like nope i don't deserve that because poor people can't afford a massage so i'm not going to get one mm-hmm. and they just continue down with back so that those those sort of things, i know is a weird example but like no, yeah. but that adds up right like in in I, and I, I hear people saying that like I I don't deserve rest. I don't deserve to take care of myself because everyone else has it worse than me and I don't have time to take care of myself because of all the all the issues going on in the world. Yeah. And yeah, maybe that feels good, maybe that feels righteous at the time, but like over time you will burn out. Yeah. Right?
0: Yeah.
1: And and you also grow cynical. Right. And yeah. you, and, and you the work that you do, the the quality suffers, right? Mm-hmm. And and again back to I, I just like the point that we talked about, like we all deserve joy and happiness i think that's the bottom line yeah and we should never feel guilty for feeling joy feeling happy yeah and and giving ourselves of course within reason right like not hoarding good things but giving ourselves good things is is not a bad thing
0: and i want to give a quick shout out to you paul and your company proactivism because if anybody is listening that's what your company proactivism does You you work on you like help individuals who are experiencing burnout do you only work with white folks, or do you work with people of color too? Or
1: yeah, yeah, I work only with white folks, so within white organizations. So you know, especially those who are leaders, and you know, leadership is something that you know I have a master's in it. Something I'm very passionate about. Leadership is a very lonely, isolating position that can you know burn out. I think happens a lot quicker in those positions.
0: For those who want to learn more, proactivism, look it up. Reach out to Paul. Um, yes, yeah. I've been somebody who I have done social justice work, and I have felt burnout. And Mm -hmm. even like this podcast and everything, I can see the difference in what I used to feel like as a Mm -hmm. white person doing this stuff and like Mm -hmm. that guilt and shame and and working through this stuff. And it's so much more sustainable. Yeah. And like, especially this epiphany that I've had, (laughs) it's still here. Like even after today's conversation, we're still talking through it. But I still feel so much better about how I can have these things coexist and be happy. And it's just a sustainable way to go about life. We've covered a lot of epiphanies today, Yeah, number one, but I feel good. I'm really glad that we had this conversation and we'll continue to build on it, I think, as we go.
1: For sure. Just to kind of, you know, wrap up, because I, I also, I love your idea of an aspirational view of American culture, yeah. you know, and the idea of America, like, and you, and you know this, knowing the history of America, but democracy and freedom, the American dream, a respite for immigrants and refugees, like, again, something we can, we could find pride in say, like, those are amazing things, like, compared to some other countries, like that's that's some amazing stuff like that's what america stands for like i know there's a lot of people like if you say one bad thing about america they're like well go over to so-and-so <laughs> country and you know see how you like it there it's like okay thank you but yeah but also
0: like real helpful
1: you're right like things things are in, in the grand scheme of things better but also worse right like again this is good and bad yeah we're not a superior nation by any by any sense of the word but mm-hmm. That being said, there's some things we can take pride in, and <laughs> we know that things like Amer- like freedom, the American dream, is not afforded to everyone mm-hmm. in this country. Right. However, aspirationally, I think that's that's what we aspire to, right? Yeah. Make things like democracy, freedom, American dream, a safe place for for refugees, immigrants. That's a great thing to be, you know, to aspire to, yeah. and even be proud that that is our aspiration. Yeah. Right. You I know? agree.
0: That's almost like the only way you can look at the United States in a productive way, almost. Where it's like, these are ideals that we can work towards. It is a fundamental part of our identity as a country. It's unfulfilled, but that's what we're working towards. How can we work towards that? I think I completely agree. That's a good good wrap-up to leave on that aspirational note. and I feel pretty good about my identity right now
1: good i do too yeah it's good yeah and you know we'll have good days and bad days like we'll have days where you don't feel good about it yeah um but i think we've set hopefully a good foundation or at least made a case for like you can go to that place and be in that place and not have to feel guilty about it yeah
0: thanks for working through it with me i feel like i gotta take a deep breath i know (laughs) my gosh all right let's shift here quick paul for the rest of this episode let's just define a few words and we just had a long conversation so maybe we'll do a couple words but you know it may seem kind of random but why we want to do this is because once you have a base understanding of the racial and gender history that we have gone over and have started to slowly do identity work in that context it provides clarity to some of these words and also takes away natural defensiveness Mm. i think a really good example of that is white supremacy right? Like, right when someone hears white supremacy, they may initially link that to being a white supremacist, or that it's saying all white people are white supremacists. And and then they just lock up and immediately become defensive and halt any productive dialogue or growth that otherwise could have happened. But if you think about white supremacy, and like all the work that you and I have done so far and talked about with the history, it's like, yeah, okay, you know, it makes sense. So in general definitions are really important with this work. So Ibram X. Kendi, who I'm gonna quote a lot with these definitions because in his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, he define like definitions are a big part of that book. He just defines a ton of words. And I really like something that he says in the book. He says, and I'm gonna quote it at length here. He says, quote, definitions anchor us in principles. That is not a light point. If we don't do the basic work of defining the kind of people we want to be in language that is stable and consistent, we can't work towards stable, consistent goals, end quote. So it makes a lot of sense, right? If we want to work to be anti-racist, what exactly does that mean? How can you explain that to somebody, right? So there are a lot of words out there regarding equity. So maybe we just do this from time to time at the end of episodes, pick some, some things. Um, so let's just do a couple here. Let's start with a big one, shall we? Racism, right? This one word that we hear all the time is actually more complex to define than one might initially think. The word has different ways of defining and d- interpreting, so let's look at it. I am going to use the way that Ibram X. Kendi and how to be an anti-racist works because he explains it so succinctly in a way that like, I think is really tangible. All right, so here's racism. Here's what Ibram X. Kendi says. Racism is a marriage of racist policies and racist ideas that produces and normalizes racial inequities. Okay, so produces and normalizes racial inequities. But then let's define racist policies and racist ideas. So a racist policy is any measure that produces or sustains racial inequity between racial groups. This is also defined as sometimes you hear this as like institutional racism, structural racism, systemic racism. kind of I like this because I hear that a lot. I use them a lot. And it's like it just kind of brings it all together in a racist policy, right? A racist policy, it produces and sustains racial inequity. And then racist ideas is any idea that suggests that one racial group is superior or inferior to another racial group in any way. So we've talked about a lot of racist ideas that have existed in the past that suggests white people are superior, Mm -hmm. black and brown people are inferior. That's a racist idea. Mm -hmm. So that definition of racism, again, it it combines those two things. That's what I really like about Mm it is it's a marriage of racist policies, and that's like the institutional racism. It's actually the measures that produces and sustains inequity. And then it is also includes racist ideas. So any idea that suggests one group is inferior or superior. Mm-hmm. And it's those two things together that produces and normalize racial inequities. So that's racism.
1: Yeah, I like that definition too, because you know my understanding of it before was you know the racist idea was part of the definition I was Familiar with, but then there's sort of this like racism can only be perpetuated by those in power, and and Immer Max Kendi really kind of blows that out of the water in his book. Yep, because he he even says there are racist ideas about white people. Now, does that mean that there are racist policies that creates inequities for white people? Probably not that many out there, right? Mm -hmm. However. Yes, there are racist ideas about white people. So we can, you know, you and I can have a racist idea about a white white people. And I think probably, you know, to our earlier conversation, maybe do to some extent and say, like, we are terrible people. All of us, all all of white people are terrible people because of everything that's, you know, that sort of thing. That's a racist idea. Yeah. Right. Right. Even I, you know, there's someone, someone I was coaching and I, I asked them the question, what do you, what do you think about what whiteness? And they said, it's a sickness and a sin. That's a racist idea. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, to think that all white people are whiteness, the race is a sickness and a sin, right? Yep. Not to bring the, the attention over to white people, because clearly we're not victim of racism as much, but it's something worth yeah. saying.
0: No, I think that's perfect because I think the last thing we'll define is racist and anti-racist. Yeah. And being a racist, there is that question, which is, are white people the only people that can be racist? Can black and brown people be racist? Yeah. And you know, like the white person book club of the century award is white fragility over the yeah. last like couple of years, right? And Robin D'Angelo, the author, she makes the claim that only white people can be racist mm. because mm. because they have the social and institutional power that transforms their prejudice and discrimination into racism. So when I read that I was like, that makes sense, right? Like if if racism is racist policies, white people have the institutional power they mm. can do it but then kenny like you just said totally blew that blew that out of mm-hmm. the water and i was like oh that's so he makes such a good point mm-hmm. jumping ahead let's define mm-hmm. racist first yeah a racist is one who is supporting a racist policy through their actions or in action or expressing a racist idea so there are two definitions again right a racist policy racist idea and a racist is one who supports those, right? Supports a racist policy.
1: And I like how he says through actions or inaction. Yes,
0: I love that too. Isn't that like such a good point? So you can be a racist by doing nothing, which is, I think I agree, very powerful. Mm -hmm. And we can link that to our discussion a little bit, right? Like if I was to swim on my back in a lake all day and and choose to never think about it or do anything and only Mm. have an action that is being racist. And then an anti-racist, which I really want us to define because it's in our little slogan of this podcast. You better know what that means. (laughs) We wanna discuss how to be white men who are anti-racist, we Mm -hmm. say. An anti-racist is one who supports an anti-racist policy through their actions or expressing an anti-racist idea. So to be anti-racist, if that's what we're working towards, we want to support any measure that produces or sustains racial equity, Mm -hmm. right? And we only want to have anti-racist ideas, which never suggests that one group is racially superior to the other, but all are equal. But here's what I think is really important, Paul, about these definitions. It's not a label to define an individual mm-hmm. all-encompassing. Being racist or anti-racist is – you could I could be anti-racist one moment and racist another because I mm-hmm. said – and I, I supported an anti-racist policy or a racist policy. And I think what's important about that is it takes away the individualism. So you and I could be in a meeting. You and I could be talking. And somebody could say, hey, Ken, what you just said is that's a racist idea because of xyz to respond correctly to that i'd be like oh my gosh thank you for telling me Mm -hmm. you're right because it is through that policy it is creating inequity between racial groups it's not saying ken you're a racist Mm -hmm. therefore you're a bad person Mm -hmm. so i think for people to say like and to recognize like we are gonna be anti-racist and racist moving forward our goal is to be anti-racist as much as possible we may be racist or support a racist idea and if we do hopefully somebody calls us on hopefully Mm -hmm. we learn so just know like that's a part of this process you can be a racist for like a moment try to learn from that grow and and try to do as much anti-racist work as you can
1: yeah and even the example you gave of how you responded if someone calls you out is an anti-racist if i'm understanding it correctly is an anti-racist action yeah because a racist action would either be to deny it deny what they're saying and say, no, what I said wasn't racist or get defensive or just avoid the conversation altogether, you know, in action. But to listen, to say, I, I apologize, to agree, to even ask more questions like that is an anti-racist approach, yeah. I would say. And that's what we're we're looking for. When you can see racism as an racist as an adjective rather than a noun and, and the idea of I can be racist one second and not not the other or be an anti-racist one second, not the other then it makes you less defensive. Yes. Because it's not about my identity, it's about my actions. And and when something is challenging our identity, we're, we're just automatically going to be more defensive, yeah. right? If someone's calling out or challenging something we did, we're, we're going to be more open to that. doesn't mean that's going to be automatically like, yeah, please tell me more. Yeah. We still need to be very vigilant about our fragility or defensiveness. But here's my question. Yeah. Do you think everyone is racist? There's a debate about that. Some people think, some people are racist, some people aren't, or do you think everyone is racist?
0: Well, by the definition, and this is the definition that I think I like the most, I would say that everybody I'm sure has been racist before, and I think we live in a, a society that's built on racism, and I am sh- I think that everybody has been racist in their lives, right. yes. Right. That's why I like this, is like, mm-hmm. we want to work to be as anti-racist as possible, to label somebody like you're a racist and you're mm. a racist people are gonna be like all right you're call me a bad person people think that that's good or bad mm. and like yeah there are bad racists out there who are consciously like white people oh, are yeah. the best there are white supremacists yes. that exist but just talking about like taking that whole segment out of yeah. it yeah I think everybody's been racist. I know I've been racist mm. you know I want to be anti-racist but I think everyone has
1: yeah I totally agree yeah and and I even realized I asked the question kind of contradictory to what I just said like it's not about being a racist. It's not. It's it's the action that's yeah. important, right? So, so yeah, I agree. I think it's impossible to not have racist thoughts or racist ideas or to do something racist in in our society. Yeah, I. I, that's, I agree. That's my opinion. I agree. And some people might think, oh yeah, I'm completely devoid of racism or I've cleared it out of my system. Uh I'm I'm pretty skeptical of that. Yeah, but, I agree. You know, to each their own, but but yeah, I think it's just because we have been indoctrinated with this concept from our from birth, and it's impossible to avoid. I, I don't know how you can not be racist from time to time.
0: Yeah, and, and then what Ibram Kendi says is that he used to think that people of color couldn't be racist, mm, mm-hmm. but then he switched mm-hmm. because he what he calls it is the powerless defense, mm. which essentially means it, which is essentially strips black policymakers managers of all their power mm. so like he goes through examples of black judges policemen mm-hmm. you know policemen and women um the 16 black ceos who've run fortune 500 companies since 1999 what mm-hmm. that just sink in verse
1: wait say that one more time the
0: 16 black ceos who've run fortune 500 companies since
1: 1999
0: that get, like I, goosebumps the bad kind of goosebumps yeah
1: 20 22 years ago am i doing my math yeah. right? so what 20 or 20 within 22 years have been 19 and i'd be curious like how long 16
0: these are 500 companies 500 companies so let's say how many over that like that's that's 16 out of i don't know 2500 ceos yeah
1: and then i'd like to know how long their tenure was yeah right right you know and probably most of them are men yeah but anyway yeah
0: and so and so he's saying like then you're saying none of them had any power you're essentially making Mm -hmm. black people not have any power Mm -hmm. which i'm like that's so true especially when you think about it as policies as ideas because then anybody can support or not support a racist idea or policy no matter your race
1: and you know what? the other thing he something in his book that also kind of changed my whole shift my whole thinking was he talked about this idea have you heard of the Well, you read the book. He talked about post-traumatic slave syndrome.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I haven't read the book, but I was familiar with the concept. And like when I heard about it, I was like, oh, yeah, every black person has some form of trauma from slavery right there. Every black person had trauma. That's a racist idea. Mm -hmm. And that's what Kendi talks about. Yes. He's like, no, not every black person has trauma from that. Some people came out of that and today don't have trauma from that. Yep. And it's perpetuating a racist idea to say that every single black person had trauma. Yeah, and I was like, "Whoa, that was holy, a, you know." That's
0: a big part that stuck out to me too is how yeah. he really talked about like you have to stop thinking of of races as groups. Right. Cause you don't really do that Which to white is, people, yes, you know, exactly. but like you do it to, oh, you see a bad driver. you are like, oh, you know, black people just aren't as good as drivers. Like yeah. that, instead of being like that person, that person is yeah. a bad driver, you don't look, you know, if, if that person saw a white drive, bad driver, it'd be like, oh, white people, bad driver. No, they'd be like, mm-hmm. that person's mm-hmm. a bad driver. And yep. so it, that, yep. that, that was a big like, whoa, for mm-hmm. me reading this book, it's like, yeah, that's a huge part of being anti-racist. Is, is is not ever yeah. just like ascribing to an entire race, yeah. racial group, yeah. like good or bad or, or definitions.
1: Yep, yeah. and it's really difficult, even when we like with the post-traumatic slave syndrome. It's in situations where it seems like it wouldn't be a bad thing to group everyone together. It'd be mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, everyone was victim to to slavery, and yeah, we should all have empathy and care about Black folks and think that they, you know, or say that they're traumatized. Like that doesn't seem like a bad thing in and of itself, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but at its core, it's a racist idea, yeah, right? So we right. even need to be careful, even if we're grouping everyone together, you know, in, in not a negative way, to still be careful of racist ideas.
0: Let's continue to reference those. You know, I, yeah. I, even just having the racist policies, racist ideas, mm-hmm. like that is so helpful for me. And yeah. I think as we move forward with our identity, I know I will and we can continue to reference that because mm. it's a very helpful framework. Mm. Work. And We have like a whole list here of words so <laughs> you know at the end of some episodes or even if it makes sense you know to really start to define some stuff um, I think that it is helpful exercise. Thanks for your culture talk today. Thank you. I I'm, mean I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep growing with that. I, I think I'm epiphanied out.
1: I'm exhausted. <laughs> That's a lot from of all epiphanies. <laughs> yep. all I, right. wish, I wish I had a lake to go Yeah. You I know. wish
0: I wish that we weren't in like the can't skate, can't swim season. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's true. This is the in-between yeah. for sure. So Smart. all right, until next time. Thank you for listening to the modern white man. Please follow us on Twitter at the modern white man for updates on new episodes, and please feel free to shoot us a note with questions or thoughts for future episodes. As always, if you are enjoying this podcast please rate, subscribe, and share, both individually and on social media. That's how we get the most traction. After all, the more white men that have these conversations, the better.